This past week, we celebrated the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. As we celebrated this wonderful man, my mind kept leaping and jumping in and out of history like black girls playing double dutch to the all to, 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 to the only double dutch that I know. Anybody familiar with double dutch? I love, love double dutch. My mind kept going back and forth like black women playing double dutch. Went in and out of history to all the women who were behind him, under him, and before him. Women who made the civil rights movement, if you don't mind, they made it move. Women were fresh in my mind on MLK Day, especially after watching women of the movement. You ought to watch it, not sure what it is. It is an ABC series based on, on the true story of Mamie Teal Mobley, who in 1955 risked her life to find justice after her son Emmett were, was brutally murdered in the Jim Crow South. Mamie did many heroic things in the movie that ought to leave anyone in absolute shock, especially being a black woman in a system that had placed her at the very bottom. Teal, devastated mother, insisted on a public open casting funeral for her son to shed light on the evidence on the violence inflicted on black people in the South. Teal murderers were acquitted, but his death galvanized civil rights activists nationwide. She is just one testimony of many, I need to go slow, of many uh, countless women who have made our world a better place. What about Ida B. Wells, who has been added to the Barbie list? I got to make sure I get my daughter one of those. She was born into slavery. Ida grew to become a journalist, activist, bringing light to the stories of injustice that black people face in her lifetime, lifetime and co-founding several organizations, including the, NA, the, 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 NAACC, uh, the NAACP. For some reason, I can't get it, out, get, get it out, but there it is. Women have been fighting to make the world a better place. Whether it be politics, education, religion, church, etc., the fingerprint of women is all over it. But we must now turn our attention to this question. Have we made this world a better place for women? A place where both the body and the soul of women matter. Unfortunately, we have much work to do. Women often go unheard, unknown, unseen. How many women in the Bible do you know? 
Maybe a name. How about their story? How about their contribution to the salvation story? We must strive to make the world a better place for women. We must strive to make the church a better place for women. No, 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 no. We must not just make the world and the church more comfortable for women, but as Dayton Johnson says, women must be given an opportunity to thrive. Well, if this will come to pass, we need to start with how we see women. We need to see them as God sees them. What is a woman? What is womanhood? These questions are critical because, church, how we answer them will dictate how we posture ourselves towards our sisters in the world, in the church, in marriage, in friendship, at Target, at White Castles, at the gas station, simply at the coffee bar. This is going to impact the way in which we engage women in the world. And as we turn to our text, the scripture, let's bear this question in mind. Who will make the world a better place for women? Let's now turn our attention to how God defines women. I want you to catch that. We need to, we need to capture God's framework. We, we, we need to capture God's definition. I know oftentimes we have a lot of definitions. We have a lot of preconceived notions when we come to the scripture. We, we have our own framework, but this is the beauty of God's word, is that God's word does not come to us and submit to us or submit to our definition. Instead, the word of God comes to us, knocks on the door of our hearts, and oftentimes wants to reshape the way that we think and see the world. The, the Bible wants us to see the world through the eyes of the Lord. If you look out into the world, there are several definitions on what a woman is. Beyonce got a definition. Some of y'all may know her as Queen B. Meg has a definition. Molly Cyrus has a definition. But if we value women as God values women, we need God's definition. Uh, we look at Genesis, the first chapter, verse 27. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and Male and female in the image of God. It's critical that you see that. I don't want that to pass you by. I'm going to say it again. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female. What is a woman? Woman the crown and glory of creation, woman, formed and fashioned by the holy hands of the triune God woman, 
bearing the image of God, woman, endowed with intrinsic dignity and worth, woman, created equal to man, made a little lower than the angels. Let me run that other phrase back. Created equal to man, created equal to man. And man, I don't care if you if, 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 if that bothers you. But created equal to man, made a little lower than the angels. Why did God make not only man in his image, but women as well? God created women to also, alongside of man, to reflect his image. The biggest purpose for a woman is to reflect the image of God, not the image of her husband, not the image of her children. I was going to get real hot in here real quick. Not the image of what society has called her to, but she's been called to reflect the image of the almighty God. She's not created to reflect the image of men, but the image of God. She is to image the image, which is the Almighty. I want to say why theologians debate the precise meaning of the image of God in humanity. I think the essential feature is that man, as male and female, is able to reflect God's likeness. Obviously, finite human beings, even before the fall, cannot reflect completely or accurately the eternal, infinite nature of God. We can't do that. We can't be all places at one time. This is going to hurt some of y'all. Uh, we don't know everything. Yeah, Will, I know it's hard for him, but you don't. You're going to go to your grave not knowing so much stuff. It's going to be ridiculous. Can I get another water if somebody can help me out? Um, it is going to be ridiculous. We cannot fully image God. But... Humans, with our personality, our intellect, and ability to know and relate to God, humans are able to reflect God's likeness in a limited way. But without understanding and knowing women, we miss out on ways we can know the Creator more deeply. I need to say that again because I need to make sure that we all see that, 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 that we should have interest and knowing women, because without women, we miss out on ways we can know the Creator more deeply. Therefore, God often uses women imagery in the Bible to convey himself. Blows my mind. We skip over this stuff. We don't preach about this stuff. We don't slow down enough. But the God of the universe often in the Bible conveys himself through feminine imagery. How does that make you feel about your God? Does that make you feel like he's not tough enough? You know, it's funny because oftentimes, you know, we hear this thing that men are strong and women are weak. And, you know, I, I, I need to pause there because, um, and use my own life. Can I, can I lift more than Paige? Yes, I can. But, 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 Paige can take way more pain than I can. 
I mean, she pushed out three babies. That's strong to me. That's not weak. When God created man and woman, he created this kind of anamorphic art, which is the kind of art where there is an image you immediately see, but then there is another image below the surface of the painting, which can only be seen when you look usually from a different angle with a lot more concentration. Like on Facebook or the gram, it's like, it's, it's like they, get, they got this picture up, and y'all know what I'm talking about. They say, can you find the dog? Is it a dog or is it a man in the picture? And you look at the picture, and you're like, I don't see nothing but grass and clouds. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. But it's as if God created this anamorphic picture, these two images, to help us grasp a little bit better what he's like. And because the image of woman is often not appreciated in the Bible or in the world, we must look a little harder to see this second image. We must go out of our way to capture the ways in which God uses women to express God in the text. Let me be clear that it's not hard to find, but because we often approach our world from a culture or whatever power that be perspective, we must labor harder to see and understand the viewpoints of those who are marginalized. If you want to understand the viewpoint of the marginalized, it's usually not readily available for you. You have to push. You have to search. You have to look. You have to go out of your way to hear their voices, to hear their perspective, to understand where they're coming from. Most poor people don't have the availability to publish books and, and to put their thoughts on social media. And so when order for you to hear it. Sometimes you got to go in the train station and sit with them and talk with them and to hear from them. Uh, you want to understand the viewpoint from the marginalized. But church, God images himself through ladies often. God uses the beauty and struggle of women so often in the Bible. And hopefully ladies in this, my hope is not only do you see God, but that you'll know God sees you. Not that you would just see God, and this is, is, and, and, and this is important, but you would know that God sees you as well. Here are a few examples of how the Bible uses the image of women to image God, because I knew I had to bring some examples. I had to bring some scriptures because I know that you guys are great theologians and you guys search the scripture and you like, Pastor, where is it? That sounds good, but where is it? I ain't never seen it. No, I ain't never seen it. That's because you ain't been reading your Bible. Here it is right here. Isaiah 42, 14. For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp in pain. Do you see it? He uses, he pulls kind of feminine imagery to express himself to his people. Come here, Isaiah, again, and preach to God's people. He says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Oh, God, come on and preach this morning. Come here, Isaiah, one more time, just in case they still don't see it. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And we'll be comforted over Jerusalem. 
listen how God expresses almost his inexpressible love. As, as, as God looks for art and illustrations to, to paint before us, to help us capture the depth and the breadth of the love that he has for his people. He, he reaches out for woman-like imagery in order to express to us the, the infinite love that he has for us. And that's just in one book. We often hear Jesus is the better Joseph. We often hear that Jesus is the better David or the better Joshua. And basically what these phrases mean is that all these men reflected something about Jesus in their life. But of course, because of their sin, they fail like we all do. Therefore, although God uses them to reflect his son, they fall short. But you rarely hear how God used women to reflect his son. And yes, women fall short as well. But as Christina Edmund points out, one that is my personal favorite, Jesus is the better Esther. Listen to how well she writes and captures Esther imaging Christ. As Jesus journeyed to the cross, he encounters the political savvy and opportunist uh, Pilate. After an exchange with some of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Pilate interrogates Jesus. Y'all remember this? Right before the cross, he runs into Pilate. Pilate, Pilate questions God. And we hear a gripping revelation and many insight as Jesus and Pilate goes back and forth. First, in these religious leaders, we can see our own, she says, sinful inclination to use politicians and those with civil power to execute a perverse injustice against those we despise. In other words, while desiring to look pious by maintaining sacramental laws for the Passover, they refuse to enter the palace while at the same time handing over the greater Passover. You got to get this. This is ridiculous what's going on in the mind of these religious jerks, right? Like, like, like they think that they're keeping their hands clean by being half righteous, by doing half of the thing. And when it came down to it, they want to observe the Passover while at the same time killing the one who is the Passover, Jesus Christ. Our inclination to use the state or government system, she says, to perform our bigotry, hatred, apathy, while looking ceremonial clean is sinful. She's talking about hypocrites. God sees our attentions behind our political leaning, and he holds us responsible for caring more about looking loving while using others to promote hate. Come on, Christina Etman. I mean, the girl's writing. And second, she says, Pilate interrogates Jesus and what seems like an attempt to keep his hands clean. Both the Jews and the Gentiles, representing all culture, nations, and tongue, need the king of truth. But in the scriptural moment, we see the world reject Christ as the saving king of truth. Come on, she keeps going. Ultimately, Christ gives us the answer to Advent as he stands before Pilate. I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus, the greater Passover, came to us for the sake of cleaning, cleansing, life-giving truth. Jesus, the greater Adam, came to redeem all humanity by obedience. Come here, Esther. 
Jesus, the greater Esther, comes to put his life on the line before political magistrates and earthly kings to save his people. Can you see the greater Esther that goes before the magistrates, who stands up to the political power of his day, who goes like a sheep to to be slaughtered, but he doesn't say a word. Yes, Esther went before the king, and yes, Esther was, was, uh, was, was putting herself in danger. But Esther falls short. But Esther does point us to Jesus, that that, that Jesus would one day go before the government council and lay his life down for us. Can I preach right here, church? Didn't they put nails in his hands? Didn't they put nails in his feet? Didn't they put a crown of thorns on his head? And he died for us, church. Did he not? Esther was pointing to one who would stand before the government for us. And oh, the day is coming when the government will be on his shoulders. Oh, yes, it will. Oh, the day is coming. Why is it important to not only know how God defines women, but to know women? Without understanding women, we can't understand all that God has revealed in Scripture. Without understanding women, we will not have a well-rounded understanding of the world and ourselves, gentlemen. And more importantly, without understanding how God defines women, we will confine women. Let me say that again. I don't want that to pass you by. If you can't say amen, say ouch. More importantly, without understanding how God defines women, we will confine women. Let me do my homework. Let me preach here. How the world, I want to talk how the world and the church have confined women. Often when humanity tries to define something, it is often attempting to confine something. Oh, those people are ghetto. We define them, then we confine them to the slums of society. Okay, those kind of people are dangerous. We define them, then we confine them by law and order and redlining. And when it comes to womanhood or femininity, there are a lot of things that we take as central to the definition which are not. And with those things we define, then we confine, so there have been no way out for women. A few ways in which society has defined and confined women. But first let me be clear. Defining things is not inherently bad. But who and why we are defining must be asked. What is the motive behind your definition? What is the motive behind your defining? What, why are you making these definitions? All right, it says we teach girls to shrink themselves, to make themselves smaller. We say to girls, you can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you'll threaten man. Because you are a female, you are expected to expire to marriage. Women are expected to make life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important, not God. Now, marriage can be a source of joy and love and mutual support. And it's this church. We support marriage. We love marriage. We think it is a phenomenal thing. But what we don't believe is that marriage should be one's identity. But why do we teach girls to aspire to marriage and we don't teach boys the same? We raise girls to see each other as competition, not for jobs or for accomplishment, which I think can be a good thing, but for the attention of man. If you keep doing such and such, 
ain't no man going to want you. You keep looking like that, ain't no man going to want you. Should we root their motivation in man or pleasing God? Should we root their motivation in honoring God or honoring man? Shouldn't the motivating force in their life of every woman be God and not man? We teach girls that they cannot be sexual beings in the way that boys are. See, we must be careful the way we define lest we confine women in cages that God didn't make for them. The kitchen should be a joy for whoever loves to be in the kitchen, not a cage. Children should be a joy, not a cage. Stay at home should be a joy, not a cage. And the part of being a joy means it should be a choice, not an identity. And I think it's time we open the doors, wouldn't you say, church, on those things and release womanhood from the confounds of the kitchen and the confounds of uh, of bearing children. Once again, those things are not bad, but they make bad saviors and they make bad identities. Many women can join in this witness with Maya Angelou as she penned so poetically. I know why caged birds sing. As they quest for personal dignity. Within the confines of, of course, God's definition. Women should not be defined by their work. They shouldn't be defined by their marriage. They shouldn't be defined by their motherhood. And these are all great things that God created to be enjoyed and experienced by man and women. Those things are beautiful and should be enjoyed. But unfortunately, too many birds have been forgotten in those cages. Tossed in the box, this is a little term right here, like mama's, like, like Martin's mama bird and replaced as the world keeps spinning. Some of y'all caught that and some of y'all gonna get that in my bad to me. I, I couldn't help it. I seen it in my bad. I'm bad. Y'all remember his mama bird when she killed the bird, she left the window open. She tossed the bird in the box, they went to the store, got another one, you know. It's a sad thing. Yolanda Pierce, in her book, In My Grandmother's House, recalls her grandmother's hand. Listen to what she says. My grandmother's hands feel leathery. They are never soft. Or are they smooth? Goes on to say, No amount of lotion can unharden the skin after years spent cleaning, scrubbing, and cooking. Hands immersed in dirt water, clean water, harsh chemical. Hands that combine with elbow grease, shine floors and windows and baseboards and white women's kitchen. Hands of an older southern black woman. Hands that are forgotten. You see, church, we have to be careful how we define because our definition can become prisons for people. People can serve a life sentence in the prison of our words. Our words can cut people off from society, dreams, and purposes. Our definitions can make it hard for people to enter back into society. But the church must come against the women to prison pipeline. If we want women to be women, God has called, we must define them according to the word of God. Women are not defined by the cages they live in, but by the God that they live in. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Somebody.
must first, if we want to know how to help liberate and to help our sisters and for women, for you to help other women to become all that God wants you to be. We, we need an example. We really do. We people make horrible examples. We, we fall short. I want to I take my cue this morning from that woman liberator. Maybe you know his name. Maybe you, maybe you praised him before. Uh, maybe he saved you. Maybe he washed you in the blood. Y'all probably still don't know who I'm talking about yet. I'm talking about the great woman liberator. I'm talking about, I'm talking about Jesus. Now, I know, I, know, I know many of you uh, 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 probably haven't seen that in the text and in Scripture, but that's why I did my homework, because I'm going to help you out this morning. Uh, how did Jesus make the world a better place for women? Jesus, y'all, when you really look at the scriptures, I mean, when you really stand back and you really say, you know what, I'm going to take some intentional time to see how Jesus interacted with women. I'm going to take some intentional time to see how Jesus is moving in and out of spaces with women. When you step back to see this, it is mind-blowing, mind-boggling, earth-shattering what Jesus actually did. Jesus changed everything for women. There was a song that I love. Maybe you can recall it with me. It was called Heal the World. It's a song recorded by the Michael Jackson. Moonwalking Michael Village. Never mind. Church folks act like they don't be knowing nobody. Michael Jackson from Gary, Indiana. He made a song called Heal the World. It went a little bit like this, heal the world, make it a better place for you and for in the entire human. There are, there are people dying if you care enough for the living. Somebody's getting ready to moonwalk in a minute. Let me hurry up. Make it a better place for you and for me. How do we heal the world and make it a better place for women? Come here, Jesus. Talk to us. How did Jesus make the world a better place for women, you're asking? When, when, what did Jesus do when, when, when he was in his earthly body? Well, we must first understand the world when he entered it. Jesus entered a very, a, a very chauvinistic, misogynistic culture. Women were not included in the teaching. They were not encouraged to prophesy or given dignity. Women were not allowed to be educated beyond their duties at home. Crazy. But Jesus redefined woman by his interacting and associating with women in a way that was radical as we consider his culture. One of the ways men and women can, can learn what is a righteous woman is simply by watching how Jesus interacted with women. First, Jesus did ministry with women. Did y'all know that? Like, I mean, like, like, no, nah, like, he, like, kicked it with women. Like, for real. Like, most of them was, like, his dog. I mean, like, they were, like, you know, locked up. You know what I'm saying? Like, they was cool. What is a woman? Well, according to society, not someone to do ministry with. But Jesus helps us to see that being a righteous woman means full participation in the work of God. 
Righteous women partner with God in his work in ministry. And that is not just limited to the home. Women, when God made you, he had kingdom work in mind for you. You know, in Ephesians, when he says that he had work for us before the foundation of the world, he wasn't just talking about men, he was talking about women also. What's society? What is a woman? Society says someone who does not learn God's word in Jesus' day. Did you know that Jesus taught women? And let them sit at his feet. I mean, you should see it, right? Can you imagine in a society where women are not supposed to be sitting at the feet of rabbis and Mary walks into the man cave and sits at the feet of Jesus? Can you imagine what the men were saying in the room? What is she doing here? Can you hear the chatter? But she didn't care. And that's one thing I like about women. Sometimes y'all don't care what they got to say. She sat there and she learned. Have you? been in a place where you refuse not to get the word of God. You would hop through hurdles and go through what you had to. When Mary said, he got a word for me and I got to get that. Some of y'all know that because though it's snowing, y'all said I got to get up and get going because I need a word from the Lord. That's Maryology, y'all, that she started that. Thank you, Mary. Did you know that Jesus sent women out to proclaim the gospel? First people to see him rise from the dead is women. The longest dialogue, one of the longest dialogue in the Bible is with a woman, John 4. What is a righteous woman? Someone who not only finds joy in God's word, but seeks to learn it with all of her heart. And then she rises and proclaims that truth to others. In fact, the gospel had so much opened the door for righteous women to learn that they were disrupting church with several questions. Now, here's the mind-boggling thing. These women are now learning. Jesus now opened the door for them to learn from rabbis and to hear things about Scripture that they never heard. They're soaking it up. They're taking it in. And they're disrupting church because they're learning so much. And they have so many questions because they have been left out of the educational system. They have been left to the the margins. They were not allowed to go to seminary. They were not allowed to get the proper education. And now the classroom is open for them. And they got all kinds of questions, even in church. And so a lot of people like to misuse 1 Corinthians because they don't understand the cultural background. Over in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells women to learn in quietness and ask their, their, their husband questions later. Paul is not defining womanhood with quietness. As, as womanhood is rooted in you shutting up. That's not what the scriptures are saying. Womanhood is not rooted in quietness as so many have taken this text for saying. Instead, Paul was saying during church gathering was not the appropriate time. But even even the fact that Paul is encouraging women to ask questions and learn is crazy. God did not create our sisters to be second-class citizens to us. Righteous women do not stand for oppression and mistreatment of men or women. Do you remember the midwives in Exodus? They not only defied Pharaoh to honor God, but they protected the dignity of man at the risk of themselves. And what I'm asking you this morning, when will we stand up and protect the dignity of women at the expense of ourselves? Did you know that women funded Jesus' ministry? Who do you think bought the wine at the wedding? 
Uh, Jesus did that one, y'all. He did that. He turned, he turned water into wine. But before there was a local bank to get a loan and to start First Baptist, women were funding Jesus' ministry. They were strategic. God uses women to resource his son's ministry. He used a woman to give his son birth. Did you know that some of Jesus' closest friends were women? Mary and Martha at the tomb, good friends with Jesus. Jesus opened doors for women to do far more than what society had restricted them. And in that, the Jewish people saw womanhood in new and fresh ways. And women were free to image the image. And women should image the image. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free what? Indeed. Jesus let so many cage birds go free. It's not strange that when Jesus came, so many women got free from much, to, to much of society's chagrin. Women got free from their sin and ways in which they were being sinned against as well. Not surprising, is it? Jesus says uh, 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 in, in John chapter 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Hmm. You didn't shout. Whoever follows me, whoever pursues me, whoever goes the way that I go, whoever has their theological framework deconstructed and constructed in the way that I see, in the way that, that, that the word is actually written, those who actually walk with me, believe in me, trust in me, talk to me, walk with me, they will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And this light of life thing is almost inexpressible. You got to walk in it to know what I'm talking about. But wait, what does Jesus, Jesus... How does light lead to life? Because once you have the light, there's no more groping in darkness. But now you can see the right way to go. There's something about Jesus that helps us to not only see God rightly, but ourselves. Watch Jesus. Light life. Jesus helps us to redefine and redirect our lives. In the way God intended them to be. And ladies, my hope for you is to image the image. If it's a wife, image the image. If it's a mom, image the image. If it's the president, image the image. I'm stepping on toes now. If it's a construction worker, image the image. If it's the CEO, Image the image. See, none of these roles are meant to define you. They are just opportunities for you to image the image. I love what my friend Hannah says. Here is, there is no single best way to embody womanhood. Women are so many different things. Women can be moms. Women can choose not to have children. Women can be wives. Women can choose not to be married. Women can work. Women can choose not to work. Women can be really talkative. Women can be quiet. She said that, by the way. I didn't say that. I'm still quoting her. I'm still in the quote. 
women could be interested in sports. Women can be great at sewing. Women can hate sewing. Women can be great at cooking. Women can avoid cooking. Women can be nurses. Women can be construction workers. Women can be engineers. Every woman I met embodies womanhood differently, and I love seeing so many different versions of womanhood. Now, that as a follower of Jesus, ladies, you are being conformed into the image of him to image him better. And if you have any restraint, let it be Jesus. Let it be the, the desire to honor him. But do not let brooms and mop buckets define you. For God did not create you to image a mop bucket or a kitchen. He created you to image him. And man, what should we do with all of this? What must we do with all of this redefining? You see, we must not only redefine, but we must be redirected. Because this is more than stating definitions. But this is about loving our sisters, our neighbors, co-heirs with us in Christ. This is about women becoming all that God intended them to be. Can you imagine where women would be if Jesus didn't redirect the culture, if Jesus was afraid of the culture, but Jesus stood up against the culture and he loved them in spite of what society had to say, although they cast him out, although they didn't like him. Even when you read John 4, the disciples are chattering, like, why is he talking to her? But nobody said anything, like they have these questions. And Jesus didn't care. You see this when he approaches race, which we can talk about. Like we can see all these ways in which Jesus is like, hey, I'm about doing the will of the Father. I don't care what none of y'all say. Now, before you clap, they did kill him now. So, buddy got up. Jesus' change changes how man should see women. If a woman means they are the crowning glory of creation, woman, formed and fashioned by the holy hands of the triune God, woman, bearing the image of God, woman, endowed with intrinsic dignity and worth, woman, created equal to man, made a little lower than angels, how must this redirect us? must redirect us in the way we handle, treat, and value women. In our relating with our sisters who are image bearers with us, we must treat them as equals. This definition doesn't allow us to leave women disrespected, unprotected, and neglected. This definition does not allow us to leave women experienced, neglected, and unaddressed in the church. And I'm afraid if we don't value women, women will wonder if the church is their community as well. See, the only definition that should confine is God's definition. And as LaShonda Campbell said, if you place the importance of a woman or girl based on her relation to you and not her inherent dignity as an image bearer of God, then you do not truly value women like you think you do. And here's the examples that she gives. I understand the plight of women because I have a wife, a daughter, a mother. I would never do X because I have a wife, a daughter, a mother. I can't believe rape and abuse happens 
That could have been my wife, my daughter, my mother. Are you following now, she says. What if you were drawn to seeking justice for women and girls, not because you're married to one or raising one, but simply because they are created in God's image? What if you were drawn to seeking justice, not as a result of your relationship in covenant marriage, but out of a desire for covenant community? Let's commit man to being more outspoken champions of our sisters. Not that they need us to be, but because it is right. Ladies, you are the crown and glory of creation. Emmanuel, if you can cue that video up for me, I'd appreciate that. You are the crown and glory of creation. And so women, I say fly. Christ has opened your cage. Be free, but only use your freedom for his glory. Do all that God has called you to be. Know that God has called you to work with him and be partners with him and to be co-workers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be free. Be free to image the image that he's giving you from the very start of creation. Image him and let no man, let no institution confine you to what God has called you to do. Because Christ has said that I will never leave you nor forsake you, but I will be with you to what? The end of the age. And church, I believe that when we lean in and when we reach across the table to know those who are different than us, in particular women, men reaching across the table, God will create a, such a quality of, uh, of communion and relationship and fellowship in this church that the world will look on and say, what in the world is happening in that church? Because we have the opportunity to love each other in ways that the world cannot get to. But church, when we truly live the gospel, in action. God does great and marvelous things. Let's redefine the way that we see women. May it redirect our lives from the way that we treat women. May God get all of the glory, all the honor.